0: Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and Merry Christmas, everyone. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John. Today's scripture text will come from chapter 17, and we'll be reading verses 3 through 5. You know, as the old Christmas carol goes, this truly is the most wonderful time of the year. I hope you're enjoying it, and I hope you have your eyes focused on the genuine reason for the season. We're all hustling about getting ready for a big meal with our families, enjoying times of fellowship and the exchanging of gifts. But may we never forget the greatest gift that was ever given. Today's message is entitled, The Gift of God. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair.
1: John chapter 17, we'll read the first five verses of Scripture. A little different passage for a Christmas sermon, however, the uh, verse 5 will launch us into our topic this morning. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. We've been going through a series on the subject of prayer on Sunday mornings and few weeks ago we talked about the model prayer which is commonly but incorrectly called the Lord's Prayer. You all know it well it begins with the words our Father which art in heaven but this was not a prayer of Jesus. This was a model that Jesus used to address the question raised by his disciples when they asked him how to pray. It is glaringly Obvious that this was not a prayer that Jesus would have or could have prayed, as the expression "Forgive us our trespasses would certainly not apply to the sinless Lamb of God. The actual lord 's prayer is truly what we find here in John chapter seventeen. You all remember the setting. It was early in the evening, the beginning of the fourteenth of Nisan. Jesus had began the evening with his disciples in the upper room during that. Pascal Seder, he implemented what we now call the lord's supper he revealed that one of the 12 would betray him he then poured out his heart in the wonderful truths of john 14 you all know this passage so well let not your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me In my father's house are many mansions if it weren't so i would tell you i go prepare a place for you I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. Receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. He was asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going exactly. And and how can we possibly know the way? And he said, oh, I am the way. I'm the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He led that group out of the upper room and across the city by the temple, down the Kidron Valley, up Olivet, to a garden called Shomone, or we call it Gethsemane. There he went a little beyond his sleeping disciples, and he poured out his heart to his father while awaiting his arrest by the temple guards. The hour had come when the Lamb of God would be offered for the sins of the world. He reaffirmed a tremendous truth in verse 3. He said this, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God and Yeshua HaMashiach, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on earth. I have finished the work which Thou gave me to do. Ladies and gentlemen, eternal life is not the result of something we must do. It is recognizing what He has done for us. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Jesus was about to complete the work of redemption for which He had come and return from whence He had come to resume His former glory as the eternal Son of God. John 1.1 tells us this. In the beginning was the Word. That Greek word logos means a thought or an explanation. It is the revelation of God to man. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, the name of Jesus And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 tells us about the Incarnation. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul says in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 6, who being in the form of God, or in eternity, existed as God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, co-equal. Robbery is if you take something that doesn't belong to you. It was not incorrect for Jesus to be co-equal with the Father because Jesus was co-equal with the Father, in fact. But made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the existence, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness or fashioned after men. And being found in the likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Christmas season. Time of joy that is marked with the exchanging of gifts with those that we hold dear. But the greatest gift of all was given in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us in Genesis, man was created different. The Bible says that man was created different from animals and that man was created in the image of God. Man alone, different from mere animals, had the capacity to reason, to know good, to love. And man had the ability to worship and to have a relationship with God, which is what God created man for in the first place. In fact, Genesis 3 tells us that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evenings, fellowshipping together. God had clearly demonstrated his great love for Adam. He had a perfect Eden, a perfect wife, a perfect life, and a perfect God. But God did not create man as a robot. God desired man's love and worship. But true love cannot be the result of compulsion. Love is a choice. Love is freely given. God told Adam, Adam, this place is yours for the keeping. It's all good. And it's all yours, but there's one limitation of the tree in the midst of the garden. I forbid you from eating of that tree. That is off limits. The day that you disobey me in doing so, you will surely die. Of course, you all know the story. Adam did eat. But Adam didn't die physically that day. But he did die spiritually as communion that he once enjoyed with the Father was now broken. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death. The consequences, the result of sin... Is death. death in the Bible, according to James, means separation. We all think of physical death, but what is physical death? Physical death is when the soul is separated from the body. Death means separation. Sin separates from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. And ladies and gentlemen, if a man is spiritually dead when he dies physically then there is no second chance that man will suffer what the Bible calls the second death, where he is separated from God throughout all eternity in the lake of fire. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this was not God's intent. That is not God's choice. But it is justice for the crime that was committed. The penalty for sin has to be paid. Now, God is Love. We know that. The Bible tells us so. We experience it. God's desire is to forgive man. But God is also just and perfect and He cannot simply overlook sin. God cannot simply zero out the books. The books had to be balanced. Sin had to be paid for. Well, what payment was sufficient? What righteousness was sufficient to measure up with God's perfect righteousness? What righteousness was equal to the righteousness of God? Why well, the answer is obvious. Only the source of life would be sufficient to provide eternal life. And only God's own righteousness, sufficient to meet God's standards for perfect righteousness, was sufficient to cover the sinfulness of mankind. Certainly, man's righteousness won't do it. We know that all man's righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Think about it. Think about that just for a moment, what that means. Even the good things that you do, all the good stuff that you do, do you really do it with a pure heart all the time? Not really. I can't even imagine what perfect righteousness is. Our righteousness, God says, is as filthy rags. Well, folks, since God is perfect righteousness, the only righteousness sufficient to satisfy the righteousness of God was the righteousness of God. Therefore, God gave us a gift. The very first Christmas gift. The greatest gift ever given. Not a shiny new bicycle on some young child's list. Not a beautiful diamond crafted by a master jeweler and wrapped in shining paper. But the greatest gift ever given was God wrapped in flesh. The gift of God. The Christmas carol, Greensleeves, begins... Asking this question. What child is this who lays to rest in Mary's lap lies sleeping? What child was that in Bethlehem? Well the Bible foretold exactly who it would be. We saw a picture. A foreshadowing some 1800 years earlier. When Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah to be offered. And as they approached the young man Isaac looked at his father and asked father. Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both of them went together. And ladies and gentlemen, God did just that. Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats was never sufficient to pay for the sins of mankind. Those sacrifices were just acts of faith looking forward to the sacrificial lamb that would be sufficient. And God provided a lamb for himself and God in the flesh was the lamb. The greatest gift ever given. The gift of God. Over 750 years before this miraculous birth, Isaiah prophesied about it in chapter 7, verse 14. He said, therefore, the Lord himself shall give a sign, a miracle, in fact. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now think about this, ladies and gentlemen, the necessity of this virgin birth. Adam and Eve sinned. God revealed to them his plan of redemption in Genesis 3.15 before he kicked them out of the garden. He said, one of these days I will provide the Redeemer. He will have his heel bruised by Satan, but he will in fact crush the head of the seed of Satan. And this one whom I am sending is the seed of the woman. Now this is a unique characteristic. We find out two things about the Messiah. Number one, it would be a human to be born of a woman. But to be a miraculous birth because the seed is passed through the man. But not in this case. Folks, every child comes into this world with the curse of sin on him. Every child is born destined for the grave. Well, if Jesus were to be without the taint of sin, then he needed to be conceived and born different than the usual course of mankind. And he was not conceived in sin, but conceived supernaturally. The virgin birth by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, the eternal Logos, the eternal Word of God was placed within Mary as the seed of the woman, the perfect God, perfect man in one. His name shall be called Emmanuel, Isaiah said. And Matthew identified exactly what that means. He said, Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is the gift of God. Isaiah, again, was given further description of this gift. Chapter 9... Verses 6 and 7 said this, For unto us a child is born. God became flesh, a human being. The eternal Logos became human, the incarnation. Unto us a son is given. Ladies and gentlemen, he was already in existence. Throughout eternity, He existed as the eternal Son of God, talked about in Psalm 2, talked about in Psalm 110, identified in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Isaiah goes on, and the government shall rest upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, And of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Ladies and gentlemen, this child born is the mighty God, Isaiah says. Jesus is, in fact, the gift of God. The shepherds came the night of His birth. The angel Gabriel found them tending their flocks in the hills near Bethlehem and declared, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Well, who is it? Christ the Lord. The promised Messiah, who is in fact the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one Lord. They followed the instructions given and they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And they did not worship Mary. And they did not worship the manger. And they did not worship the building. And they did not worship the angels that also attended this miraculous birth. They worshiped baby Jesus. Jesus is the gift of God. God wrapped in flesh and given to mankind. Ladies and gentlemen, the wise men traveled and arrived some two years later. They did not worship Mary. They did not worship the house where the young child now lived. They did not worship an article of clothing he had worn. They did not worship a cup that he drank from. They did not worship Joseph. They worshiped the Christ child. Jesus is worthy to be worshiped because Jesus is the eternal God wrapped in flesh. He is the gift of God given to mankind. But why did He come? Did He just come so we could commemorate Him once a year at Christmas time with a Christmas card? No! Jesus Himself clearly explained why He came as He was traveling to Jerusalem in His last journey there for the Passover when He would be offered. He's told His disciples, having passed through Jericho, having just spent time with Nicodemus, they were ascending up Mount Zion. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to give His life. As a ransom for many. There's no surprise. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 9, 14 and 17. But we see Jesus who became or was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Paul said again, this time to his protege Timothy in the first chapter, verse 15 of his first epistle to Timothy. He said this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this. If Gabriel had come to Jesus as he was praying in Gethsemane and he said, Jesus, good news, world hunger has been solved, world peace has been established, poverty has been eliminated, illness has been forever cured, Jesus still would have gone to the cross and died. The penalty for sin had to be paid. And the penalty that each and every man owes because of sin was paid on our behalf by our Creator. As He became our near kinsman to give His life in place of ours. 2 Corinthians five twenty-one says this, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Wow, how much does Jesus love us? Folks, think about the price that he was willing to pay. Not just on the cross, but before that. And also consider that this was his idea. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He willingly lay aside his pre-incarnate glory. His eternal existence as the Son of God. He willingly laid aside the adoration of the cherubim and the seraphim and the heavenly host. He willingly humbled himself, as Paul said, but made himself of no reputation. And it took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. God the Son became flesh, Jesus became a man. He didn't just look like a man. He became a man. Still fully God. Never laying aside His nature as God, but temporarily laying aside His privilege and humbling Himself even unto death as God stepped into His creation and the eternal Son, get this, forever became a man. What a price He was willing to pay for us. There is right now, ladies and gentlemen, a man in heaven at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, the resurrected, glorified Christ Jesus. He was born of a woman. He wore a body of flesh. Now think about this. The Creator of all humbled Himself to the point where He needed His diapers changed. He needed the attention And care of loving parents. He became hungry. He suffered pain. He felt sadness. He cried. He laughed. He slept. He was in all points tested as we are. Yet without sin. The Son of God who was always God and will always be God. Who every day while on this earth was God. Became a servant of those that are of His own creation. He owned no land or house or boat. He owned no gold or precious jewels. He owned no luxurious garments. He owned no business. He owned no horse. He even rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. And he humbled himself in his death. He didn't die a hero's death in the field of battle. He didn't die a quick and painless death like someone who simply goes to sleep and never wakes up. He died the death that was reserved for the lowest slaves and the lowest criminals and the lowest enemies of the state. He died by crucifixion. As a matter of fact, no matter what the crime, no Roman citizen could be crucified. It was too horrible. But Jesus, the God of all creation, humbled himself to being treated in the most barbaric ways. Why did he go through that? Because he took those sins upon himself. He stood in the place of every murderer and adulterer and pornographer that ever lived that gave their sins to him to be saved. Jesus humbled himself to being treated in the most barbaric ways, treated like the most wicked murderer or lowlife. But, ladies and gentlemen, he never lost his authority. He could have at any time called down 12 legions of angels to take him back to the authority and glory which was rightfully his. But he made himself of no reputation. He willingly set aside his privilege. He willingly took on the very body of a servant. And Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Oh, what love Jesus has shown in giving us this gift of God. Folks, I read a Christmas story four or five years ago. It was... About a little 12 year old boy whose father had passed away. And his mother worked several jobs trying to make ends meet. And all this little boy wanted for Christmas was a new bicycle. But mom couldn't afford the bicycle. But mom knitted for him a scarf, the work of her own hands. It was the very best she could do. Her own heart was poured into every stitch of this garment that she'd made for her son to keep him warm. Christmas morning, he ran in, saw that there was no bicycle, unwrapped this present to find this scarf that was made with his mother's love, and in his disappointment, breaking her heart, tossed it on the floor, not desiring it. Folks, as a parent, few things sadden you more than an ungrateful child. It doesn't make you angry when they're ungrateful towards something that you've done for them. But it does just make you hurt. Amazingly, there are countless many that don't appreciate the gift of God. And throw Jesus on the floor as if he were some unwanted garment. As a matter of fact, John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel beginning in verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not can you imagine ladies and gentlemen the creator of all coming into the universe that he himself had spoken into existence came into the earth that he himself had formed came to the people that he had made to fellowship with in the first place and came to save them yet his own received him not instead they collectively outside the temple cried out crucify him crucify him we'll have no king but caesar but john goes on to say and this is good news for us But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How do you receive Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, it's not... By your bloodline. It's not by your physical birth. You aren't born a Christian. It's not because you are Jewish in your heritage. It's not because you are an American and we have in God we trust on our money. It's not because you were born into a Baptist household. It's not by your bloodline.
0: We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time as we conclude this message, The Gift of God. Until tomorrow, God bless you, and Merry Christmas. You've been listening to
1: the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey
0: in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from
1: Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.